one of the all-time favorite shows. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Because You Were Home. Um, today we are looking at the final six movies. Well, the final current. Yeah, you never know. You never I know. kind of do after watching the reboot. The, no, it's actually not even a reboot. It's a sequel. Yeah, because there was, there was a big lawsuit going around about the rights of um, Jason. They sold them halfway through. I think it's been settled. So they're because it went more. from Paramount to Universal Pictures. Yeah, so there could be more coming. So the Universal are new, like sorry, I can't remember, and now I'm interrupting. I think <laughs> it's Miramax. It's someone. It's someone. Dimensions, Miramax, someone, someone. They sold it. That's all good. Um, yeah, so this uh, this episode, we're looking at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 and 12. Um, and as you can imagine, as the sequels go on, the crazier it gets. Um, oh, does it? It gets bananas. Now, it's funny, actually, the three that I watched, I totally would have thought that my favorite would have been the one that was kind of the oldest because it was kind of getting to the Halloween H2O era extreme mm-hmm. you're kind of you're recognizing some of the actors and actresses as people who are still kind of quite current today do you know that kind of way yeah um but I must say it definitely wasn't my favorite of the of the franchise the latter three for me well they ebbs and flows some are great some are short I actually think you'd very much like the two I think you'd very much like seven and you'd quite like nine but only because they're so bananas (laughs) and like cuckoo crazy and out there but the one thing I'll give kudos to this franchise they try it all they really do they're just like you know fuck it balls to the walls we're going for it and boy do they so without further ado Emer, I'm going to bring you on a journey um I'm also going to bring you on a journey. Yeah, they're not afraid. They are not afraid. They're not afraid at all. Um, so, yeah, I'll bring you to Friday the Dude. 13th, part seven, The New Blood. Um, this one is a little bit different because um, it's it's a little bit different for many different reasons, right? Um. We have we start off after Jason Voorhees uh, was changed the changed <laughs> changed chained uh, to the bottom of Camp Crystal Lake by Tommy Jarvis. A young telekinetic girl called Tina Shepard accidentally killed her father with her powers at Crystal Lake. Years later, Tina and her mother return to Crystal Lake, where Tina's doctor tries to manipulate her with powers for his own evil plans. Tina tries to resurrect her father, but accidentally awakens Jason instead. <laughs> now up to Tina to use her powers to stop Jason and her evil doctor. So I will say I just took that word from word from IMDb.com. So thank you very much, whoever wrote that. Um, the crazy thing is I actually <laughs> obviously picked up on a lot of it, but totally went over my head. I thought Jason killed the dad when she was younger. I didn't realize she actually did. And I was all, I was always very confused that when the doctor was like, you killed your father, Tina. 
And I was like, oh my God, she didn't. Like it was Jason. Does he not believe in Jason? Is this what's happening? He thinks that she's like delusional. But actually it turns out that I'm a bit delusional and half of the movie went over my head. That happens. That happens to us all. It does happen. So the director, John Carl Beckler, right, he said that they wanted to have a match for Jason and basically a clone of Carrie, which is exactly what Tina is. It's, well, without the, like, terribly religious, horrific mother. She actually has a really nice mom. Um, Basically what happens is Tina has been in a psychiatric hospital because um, of her crippling guilt over um, accidentally killing her father. Um, And her doctor decides that it would be a great idea to bring her back to Camp Crystal Lake to try and get her over this trauma. Now, the thing is, he actually wants her there for his own kind of ulterior motives because she has telekinesis power. But it's kind of like it's not really harnessed yet. So she doesn't really know how to control it. And she's like, I can move things with my mind. He's like, you're crazy. No, you can't. And the mom's like, look, we can do whatever we can do. I just want her to be happy and healthy. And I love her so much. And she loves me so much. And it's quite nice. Mm. Uh, But the doctor is a dick. So this wouldn't be a Jason movie without a load of horny, drunk teenagers. Uh So to offset this whole kind of weird Carrie doctor situation going on, um, there's also a group of teenagers who are out for a good time and partying, man, <laughs> on Camp Crystal Lake as well. So um, they arrive, they're having the crack. It's actually a, a surprise birthday party for one of their friends. So their friend and the friend's girlfriend are traveling up Um to the lake where he thinks he's just going away for a bit of a dirty weekend with a girlfriend but he's also not that into it he's kind of like uh do you know it'll be grand but it would be nice if we were actually doing stuff for other people as well do you know and then she has to be all like it's an it's a surprise birthday party you dick so tina arrives she's absolutely beautiful as are all the ladies and um the kind of main guy within this group takes a fancy into her and the stuck up kind of cheerleader-esque girl doesn't like her at all and then she goes over Tina goes over to a party the doctor's like I thought we weren't going to have any um any like distractions while we were here and <laughs> the main mean girl is just a dick and is mm-hmm. like turns around to one of the guys and is like put your jacket on backwards and she's like oh my god Tina is this the way you wear your jacket in the loony bin <laughs> oh god so it's the one thing as well that I felt through this franchise was they actually all like it it was one thing that you don't see the like mental anguish that comes along with seeing like people massacred in front of you Mm. like to the extent that you would actually think it would be so Halloween H2O we have Laurie she just completely assumes a different identity she's like an alcoholic then in the 2018 she's like this doomsday kind of prepper waiting for Michael to come then in Scream you do have like Sydney in the second one she goes on to college but in the third one she's kind of like a hermit 
but they never really go massively into what would actually take for you to be getting over something like this. But that's one thing actually the Friday the 13th franchise do quite a bit is where these people have all been admitted for psychiatric help after these horrific things have happened to them. Mm. Now, in fairness, it, it doesn't work very well. Like poor Tina has ended up with like this evil doctor. Um, in the past, you've seen the, the last one I spoke about where poor Tommy ends up in this halfway house and sure everybody dies as well. So although it doesn't particularly work, at least they're being a bit realistic, knowing that actually this is a really shit situation and you should go and talk to a doctor um, about it, please. So with this one, you can definitely see that there's a lot more gore in it. Um, they've really kind of turned the table. I know that when we were talking about Halloween, not Halloween, sorry, when we were talking about the first one, they had said that they were kind of taking the Halloween blueprint, but they were going mm. to show something that wasn't shown before, which was blood and guts and gore. And they really, really hammered home with it this time. And they had a huge amount of issues with trying to actually get it past the, um, get it past this art like and be able yeah. to get it made. So it was really difficult and they kept sending it back and they were like, no, you can't do this and you can't do that. And they kind of, I watched it making of um, on YouTube. You can find all the kind of making of the movies on YouTube, which are great. Um, and they talk about how it's quite sad, actually, that like the effects department and the makeup department will put so much effort into these kills and like making stuff that looks so amazing. And then they're just like, nah, that's too gruesome. There's one part, one of the kills was where this guy, his head was literally going to be reduced to kind of the size of a walnut and there was going to be blood and brains and just matter like squirting everywhere. And they actually made a whole um, mechanical head so that Jason was able to quite literally like crumble this head in on top of itself and it would look really real and because of it it was like it was taken out and the great thing about the the um making of the movie that I watched was the second part of it was actually all of the deleted scenes even Tina's mom her murder um was was quite gruesome but you don't see what it was supposed to be um, so it was supposed to show you the machete go in and actually come out of the body on the other side and then come out and then there'd be blood everywhere. And they were like, absolutely no way. No chance oh. hell is this happening. And the thing is, you can kind of tell that John Carl uh, Beckley, the, the director, he's a little bit bitter about this, right? Because every time he talks about it, he's like, it's way more gruesome now. If I'd done it now, I'd get away with it, but no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he also said that he would love to go back and do kind of like a Friday the 13th part seven, uh, 2.0 kind of thing, like a part mm. B of it, where it would follow Tina to the hospital and where she would go back into the psychiatric hospital. She would be kind of blamed for all the murders, um, which is kind of like going into this whole thing of it's really it's sad because they'd be kind of like, oh, it's this girl with these mental health issues and a psychiatric patient. Of course she did it. 
Um, so she'd go back and she'd be like kind of being prosecuted for all this. And then Jason will arrive and he'll start to kill everybody in the hospital. So I was kind of like, so you're kind of going for a Halloween two thing here. <laughs> so definitely going with the usual. Let's take take this and see how we go with um, how far we can put the, the Halloween movies. Um. Yeah, so this one again, I actually thought it was really good. Um, it was, it, you know, it's very different. It's, it's kind of like uh, Dream Warriors for Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it's totally different. They went, you know, what can we do? We're going to make it a bit different. The the one thing that they said was the first three movies had um, was it yeah that there was somebody who survived from the first movie. And um, then the next couple of movies, they had, they kind of homed in on Tommy as the yes. protagonist. And then this movie was supposed to now home in on uh, Tina as the protagonist. And basically she was actually the working, one of the working titles that they were looking at was Friday the 13th, Jason's Destroyer. So Tina really was supposed to be the shining hope in this kind of beacon of light within the yeah. Friday the 13th um, movies, but unfortunately um I, I I don't think she arrives in the next movie no no she does not I think there was some sort of scheduling issue like that I when I was reading up on some um trivia on this film as well uh the film being part eight Jason takes Manhattan more exciting than the film itself I actually cannot wait to hear about (laughs) (laughs) the last thing I'll say about this and it's just a little bit of trivia that I thought was quite funny and so during filming Kane Hodder who played um Jason in the movie um his dressing room is actually a quarter of a mile down a dirt road from where (sighs) they were filming and one night filming ended at 2 a.m and while they, he was still in Jason costume, he decided to walk through the woods on the path to his dressing room. No. Um, as he was walking, somebody approached him and asked, was he with the movie? Didn't reply. Thought this was a really stupid question because he was in full costume. Yeah. As he was standing there, yeah, when the man asked again, came, actually lunged at him and grunted because he was like do you know what shut up obviously I'm in the movie so the guy ran off and actually tripped the next day the director told Kane that the local sheriff was supposed to stop by but he never showed up no yeah oh god which is one of my favorite trivias ever mortified (laughs) from and randomly, two girls, um, two actresses, uh, tried out for this movie because it was actually the the working title. One of the other working titles was um, something about a birthday, like birthday bash or something like that, um, uh-huh. which makes sense because it was a birthday party that they were supposed to be having. Having, um, but two actresses who actually had um been in Friday the Thirteenth previously auditioned for the roles. And then oh. to admit, oh, actually, we've been in Friday the Thirteenth before, and probably <laughs> killed off, and they had to be like, oh, right, okay, you can't be in this movie now. Yeah, you can't be in it again now. You're not allowed. Only Jason can rise from the dead. <laughs> Only Jason. So, Emer, I, I think I've been so excited to hear 
about um, Jason Takes Manhattan. So Emer, take, take it away. Well, I had like such images of like Jason doing Broadway, jazz hands. And then, then I watched it and I'm not the only one who was like miffed with this. This really annoyed um, fans because well, I'll go into some trivia at the end, but fans are really expecting like this to be based in um, based in New York and Manhattan, obviously, given the title. But they had some serious budget restrictions. Um, and this film was actually the biggest financial flop, which is why Paramount sold it after this film, mm-hmm. uh, sold the rights. Um, so in... <laughs> Out of a film that's an hour and 40 minutes, it's the last half hour alone that's in Manhattan. And even still, it's only the iconic shots of him in Times Square, some subway shots. The rest is all shot in Vancouver. So they basically called it Jason Takes Vancouver. Um, Yeah. And I have to say, I was actually extreme. For a slasher film, I was extremely bored. The acting was stilted. It was... I, I just... I. I thought that this was going to be like part six was so bonkers and it was like with the James Bond opening like it was just hilarious that I was like it can only get crazier because now he's in New York no yeah it was extremely boring so um according to the synopsis it's about a whole high senior class uh, high school sorry high school senior class is finally graduating for that they get into a luxury cruise called Lazarus at the beginning, they're all having fun, including our main heroine, Rennie, who has a serious problem with the water because of a past traumatic event um, where she almost drowned when she was little. When we get to see all the young teenagers, our friend Jason, who got on board the ship, starts with his killing rampage until we only get to see the main characters of the movie survive. After that, they decide to look for the killer and kill him. Unfortunately, Jason got to them first and only a few of them managed to escape off the ship when it reaches New York, where they now have a bigger problem. Jason managed to have gotten to there too. He is cr- He's chasing the survivors to kill them and now the young teenage couple must escape or die in the dark waters of New York. Uh, apologies for that. I was reading someone's synopsis and it's full of grammatical errors and I just... <laughs> Balls a lot of it up. Um, so with the end of um, part seven that you were just describing, they managed to put Jason back into the water. And it's it kind of opens. Well, first, the whole scene opens with really like dank New York, you know, New York in the 1980s. It's full of drugs, homeless people. It's, you know, I think they were just obviously reusing as well some of their shots because it's everywhere that they show it that comes into it later on in the film when they actually get to um, Manhattan. But um, so there's this couple on a yacht. So it's like they're pre-boating because they're about to go onto the cruise, but they spend a night in a smaller boat beforehand. And it's so random. They're on Camp Crystal Lake and it's like every, you'd think if you were living in the time of Jason, you'd know a little bit more about them. Everyone is always so shocked to hear about this. Unless they've come from very far away, I'd imagine that the the legends of this serial killer would stick out in your head. But it's always some guy telling his girlfriend and she never has a clue about this. Um, But anyway, so when they set down their anchor for the night, 
it disturbs a power cable that's going, that's feeding power into Camp Crystal Lake. And also Jason is down there. So they accidentally pull at the electrical wires, which sends a jolt through underwater and reawakens Jason. And then he gets onto the boat and slaughters the couple. But it's another one of those, she's waiting to be killed. She's just sitting there and she's like, it goes on for like 10 to 15 seconds of her just no like doing absolutely nothing not even trying to crawl away I know she's actually she's got herself in a bit of a corner but still she just does absolutely nothing to try and get out and they're definitely going through the whole supernatural element of Jason because he is definitely like I'm here now I'm here I'm over there and now I'm here um it was very hard to believe that because how they managed to get to New York is they leave the main cruise that they're on and they get on a rowboat and there's only four of them on the rowboat quite obvious Jason appears in Manhattan like 20 seconds after they arrive did he just swim behind them he's just like <laughs> bobbing along bobbing Don't along mind me. <laughs> um so yeah, they were kind of, and, and it was just, it was also really obvious how low of a budget they, I don't have the figure for it, but they weren't showing any of the kills and all of the special effects were, you could tell that they weren't even done attached to a body. It was a bit of material to look like the clothes. It was, it was done really bad. And I think at this stage I'd seen enough of them when I was like, oh, this is bad. Like, this is really bad. I just felt like as if they weren't putting in any effort into what they wanted from the film. Uh, and obviously they get what they paid for when they pissed off enough fans. So it like word of mouth didn't pass around enough that to make people want to watch it. Um, so I hate to disappoint you, but yeah, I thought it was a pretty bad, pretty bad film. And I'd been so like enjoying them coming up, but this one was this one was sadly my worst one. Um, and when we had kind of when you kind of come up with this idea for this being our franchise you were like can I do can I do the even one so I can do like I mean the title alone I really wanted to do this um and I was like sure they've all kind of got like bad critical reviews so you can't take the like Rotten Tomatoes score as like fact that this is bad because they're all kind of like four out of ten ish like in the middle range um so it was a bit strange so we had Kane Hodder again playing Jason mm-hmm. and in the original script they wanted Kane Hodder to kick a dog so it's Rennie our main girl uh, she's kind of got this dog I don't know whether you, now I think you'd probably call it an emotional support dog but she has this dog with her called Toby and uh, in a scene uh, they wanted Jason to kick the dog, but Kane Hodder was like, no, it was too far. And he, like, he's like, Jason might hate people, but he's an animal lover at heart. <laughs> I like that like, part where I'm just like, yeah, no, he has the limit. No. Yeah. And that's obviously more about Kane Hodder, I'd say, than, uh, you know, than himself. Yeah. So obviously, then I'm saying that this was the lowest grossing film and so it got dropped and um, but also there was a really weird scene so you know they're like there's always some nudity in these films yeah. and they you have like there was one scene where the bitch character um 
she's taking a shower and but she didn't want to be shown nude and she didn't like want to have to do the nude scene so they like had her from the back where you couldn't really see anything about her uh so that wasn't so bad and I think when they were filming her kill scene it was only a handful of people in the room like the director the uh Kane Hodder and herself and like just some of the cameramen but randomly um the director really wanted the lead girl to have a sex scene and a nude scene just to kind of go against the virtuous good girl being the final girl um and but they the director had pretty much forgotten to specifically ask for that when he was casting for Rennie. So when they had the lead actress, Jensen uh, Daggett, when they had cast her and they're like, okay, we want you to have a sex scene and a nude scene with that. She was like, no. And even though they gave the idea of what they wanted from her, she was still like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And then they're like, okay. Um, because he was like, oh no, loads of women have done and like topless scenes and it hasn't damaged their careers and she's like this isn't what I'm here for and then they tried her to do like just a topless scene and again she declined and then they wanted her just to even take her blouse off and again she declined she did a scene where she was getting changed and it's just from the back but they do make her turn around in her bra and I'd have a feeling that they probably wore her down for that um but yeah uh really weird that they were just very strange not cool at all I get that like a slasher film especially slasher film in like the 80s nudity is almost like I was calling it like um like a booby check and I was calling it a dick tick because it's there's a certain amount of people who want to see the boobies so I'm like yeah the booby check it's uh, all these kind of films but no I appreciate if someone was like no you're not gonna make me do this yeah so yeah, that's the sad ending to my, please tell me that the next film for you was more interesting. Well, actually, what I'll start off with this film is to kind of um, go on what you were saying there about the them saying that she needed to do loads of stuff mm. um, in this movie. So the next one I am looking at is um, Friday the 13th, Jason Coes- Goes to Hell, the final Friday. And considering mm-hmm. this is number nine um, and we still have a ways to go, uh, <laughs> definitely not the final Friday. <laughs> sure, in the last episode, I had one called the final chapter. I know, yeah. So before going into the into the actual story, I'll say this because it totally um, kind of goes with what you were saying there. There is a lot more male nudity in this film as with kind of female nudity as well. And it's most, the reason is that the director, Adam Marcus, viewed the previous Friday the 13th films as somewhat sexist, showing only primarily female nudity and thought it was more acceptable to show male and female nudity in equal amounts, though the majority of the fan base didn't agree. (laughs) (laughs) But it's kind of nice to think that somebody went, do you know what? Maybe not. Yes. Um, so Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, starts off with um, a girl. She's arrived at the cabin. She gets undressed. She goes into the shower. She puts on um, a towel. Jason comes in. She runs away and she's like, ah. Um, and then it turns out, actually, she's an FBI agent. It is a um, it's a trap. 
and um, there's like floodlights everywhere and he is blown the shit up like <laughs> pieces everywhere that's um, how you do it that is how you do it now the thing is there is apparently a comic book that bridged the gap between your Jason Takes Manhattan oh. and this one um, where he was dipped into toxic waste in the New York City uh, sewer and it was went on a killing spree on his way back to Camp Crystal Lake which explains why the FBI were now involved now also I imagine that the prior eight movies might explain why the FBI have gone look <laughs> <laughs> for eight years running this guy has <laughs> has been killing maybe we should step in um so the thing is, after that, they pick up all the pieces. They bring him to the local coroner. Um, they're like, you can't get in the room without showing a, a badge and your ID and all this stuff. It's very much under lockdown. Like there is no way that Jason is surviving this. Like, but the mad thing is, Emer, although Jason is in many, many pieces, his heart outside of his body is still beating is it also like killing people with a machete <laughs> just all the little ventricles are like it's quite funny it's a killer heart <laughs> he's a heartbreaker he um so basically um the coroner is during the you know he's <laughs> cause of death explosion um but he's also kind of like there is no cause of death the the heart is still beating so out of the corner of his eye he sees the heart beating it's very kind of much you know that film it's like this movie right has cannibalism it has body horror it has like they really went like with this movie and the movie that I was previously talking about, they really kind of went right. There's a bit of a kind of supernatural element with with the whole telekinesis. They do kind of go down the whole, um, you know, Halloween runic kind of thing where they try oh, yeah, to explain yeah. why Jason is you know, it can't be killed. There's something in his blood and like he can only it, it all goes bananas, right? But the coroner basically looks at the heart, sees it beating, and he's like, oh my God, that's crazy. And then he starts to eat the heart and he <laughs> is like possessed by the spirit of Jason now. Um, so his his um assistant comes in and he's all like, Do you know what I'd like to do to you, Jason? I'd like to like, <laughs> like take a shit in your mouth. And I'd like to like <laughs> cut you up and all this stuff and then it turns out that actually his boss is now Jason so he's all like ah. um, and then Jason like gets out so there is this like TV report on it because you know big news <laughs> um, he actually has survived and something is going on and um, they're talking they have a they have a interview with this bounty hunter called Creighton Duke who is played by Stephen Williams and Stephen Williams said that he would play this part but he would only play this part if he could dress up like a cowboy uh, which is quite funny um so he's all like it's, it's very weird like the the interviewer is like when I say the name Jason Voorhees 
to you? What do you think of? And he's like, well, I think of a little girl in a little pink dress <laughs> putting a hot dog into a donut hole. What? And I was like, I'm so confused. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Basically, Duke is interviewed and um, he demands 500 grand for the capture, capture of Jason. And he says, for that, you get the mask, the machete, the whole damn thing. And this is a reference to 1975's Jaws when Quint demands $10,000 to kill the shark, saying yeah. that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing, which I thought was kind of cool. So they go, and I, I know I keep referencing back to Halloween, and the thing is, it is actually kind of quite, you kind of go, oh God, <laughs> did they not do this before? Um, <laughs> and it's probably because I'm, I was a lot more kind of familiar with the Halloween franchise, but essentially um, Duke comes to the small town of uh where Crystal Lake is and he's all like and uh, he goes to a diner there's this really nice um waitress there Diana and he's like I need to talk to you about your brother and she's like I have no brother and he's like I know who you are and it's Jason's half-sister seriously that we've never heard about <laughs> yay <laughs> Yeah, so 100% snap, you're like, Jesus. But there is a young lad who's living in the town. He's the baby daddy of uh, Diana's uh, daughter. Um, She is after having a baby as well, um, who's a wee boy. And the whole thing now is that Jason can't be defeated unless by his own blood. So, uh, like, Duke is never going to be able to kill him. All those people can, can rip him to shreds. They can literally blow him up. And he will never die unless it's Diana, her daughter, or the grandchild. Um, or he, he will also try and find somebody that he'll be able to properly possess. So I think he's trying to get into the babies. So a bit of a whole kind of, like, uh, yeah, you know, in... Halloween six or whatever yeah. it is, where he's all like, you know, the cult of thorn, baby Stephen. I still think it's the most ridiculous name for <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they go on, and um, so this is the whole story where it's this familial aspect, but this one again is gory, it is gruesome, it is definitely along the lines of um, I know we did one of them for the hundred horror movies remember she was in there were two kind of was it reanimator he was a he was a um a student and he was bringing like animals back to life yeah, he was he, the bright green liquid in yeah the, in the, yeah yeah that's reanimator this film actually reminded me a lot of that it was very kind of sci-fi it was very um body horror and then you had the kind of like the aspect of the supernatural with the his blood and stuff like that and then there was the cannibalism it kind of went a little bit zombie and it sounds bananas and emer it is like it's just crazy but actually like it's crazy but it's kind of cool like go into it with the idea that this is one of the most bananas movies you're ever going to see and you'll kind of go 
<laughs> this is gas. Similar to that one that we watched, the New Zealand one, where it was all zombies and it was just manky. And you were like, all right, look, I knew it was going to be bananas. So that's fine. That's exactly what this movie was. Um, and the last thing I'll say about it is there was actually an early concept for this movie where Jason goes to L.A. and uh, where two rival gangs were going to be fighting when Jason arrived and he started murdering them. And then the rival gangs band together to defeat Jason, which, to be fair, I'd watch it. Well, yeah, I would. Yeah. I'd like to see him get the whole L.A. experience. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine the sweet prince of Hilarious? West <laughs> <laughs> Philadelphia, born and raised, where Jason came down and killed me. <laughs> yeah. And the end. I've got to think it's got some promise. I think so too. Really, we should we should reach out to Will Smith and we should reach out to absolutely everybody else involved. <laughs> oh, 100%. Get this movie made. <laughs> oh. Shall I come on to my pièce de résistance? Please do. So we obviously, you can see the text again, things where they've got the whole, they're bringing in the family. So what can you do to one-up that? Yeah, just put him in space. Get him in space. So this film was made in 2001, yet it opens in the near-off future of 2010 where Jason Voorhees is cryogenically frozen in a government facility in Camp Crystal Lake. And it's got that, like, the text, you know, it's meant to look sci-fi. It's, like, blue, and it's, like, Camp Crystal Lake Research Facility. Yeah. Like, yeah. So they can't, they were saying, it's. she says it later on in the film, there's a a project leader who gets frozen with Jason. But she's like, we tried uh, executing him back in 2008. We gave him lethal injection. We hung him. We electrocuted him. We did everything. But he won't die. Um, And so they just decided to cryogenically freeze him. However, people are wanting the money. So they want to unfreeze him so that they can I, I can't even quite they actually have David Cronenberg again the director and uh, who was also in Nightbreed the killer who was wearing the really cool mask mm-hmm. and so he's in it as well like he's only in it for like two seconds um but he kind of he gave his Canadian crew and like his equipment to the director and it was like oh I just want to be in your film for like five minutes and then I'll just die on screen and then you get to have all of my crew and my equipment and I was like fair play and so he plays a guy who like wants to use Jason for study and bring him around and of course Jason gets loose so then the project leader gets a gun tries to you know she ends up trapping him but he gets her into the room as well and they both end up frozen and they wake up in the far off future of 2455 where earth is like uninhabitable yeah and you have these people are like kind of they're they're pickpocketing what's left of the world they're they're getting things out and they um they were cryogenically unfroze uh rowan who was the project leader because she's like so intact and they take Jason as well. And someone in the future happens to even know who Jason is. 
so they're like they're going to use him as like a sideshow freak but of course he thaws too and then he starts killing people on the um ship whilst they try to then kill him and when Rowan's like I'm telling you people he cannot be killed um so they have a robot on uh she's on the ship and so she ends up like getting a reboot and it, you can tell 2001 very high matrix um influence she's like pvc leathers top to toe and she's like shooting at him fighting him and then of course he manages to come back with because i was waiting i was like where is the mask that he gets to wear the metal mask so he kind of ends up merging with equipment and so they kind of put him back together with nanotech and he gets put back half metal half jason because he gets blown up like to pieces but re put back in with metal so that's how we have the look of jason from the the movie clip which funny enough they wanted it to be like this really big um they wanted to be this twist for the the final third of the film but then the marketing just absolutely destroyed it because you see jason like half metal on the poster and in the trailer and um, so they absolutely ruined it for themselves they couldn't use it as um they couldn't use it as a final twist it is an absolute bonkers ride of a film um and I would, I just, I loved it. I, after watching Jason Takes Manhattan and being absolutely bored to death, this one was just so stupidly fun. It was like a palate cleanser. Oh, that's good. However, it was an absolute critical and financial failure when it initially came out in the cinemas, but it made back more than triple the cost of production in DVD and post theater sales. And it's statistically one of the most successful Friday the 13th films. So, see, I suppose that would be one of the films that would have gone like possibly first to DVD. After, you know, like the rest of what it had to be historically put into DVDs. So maybe this one was like, it, it was the quickest to go to DVDs and it capitalized on it having just been in some. So that might have helped its um, popularity. It was anyone who was a fan of the PlayStation, oh no, PlayStation, the console game Doom. If I say PlayStation, I know I'm just going to annoy a lot of people with that. But the game Doom, there's a big gun. And it's only because I remember watching the film with Chris when Jesus, when I came in and that, and it was a, that's it. That's a film and a half to watch. Um, but there's the rock in it and they have the BFG, the big fucking gun. And so <laughs> they, there's a little snippet to that when that there's like soldiers on the ship as well. So when they're off trying to hunt Jason and um, they have, you know, someone has the BFG. So I kind of liked that little nod for it. Apparently they were trying to get Betsy Palmer into the film again because they do a scene where they do a simulation of like Camp Crystal Lake just to try and distract Jason as they're trying to escape. Um, but Betsy Palmer, she was doing a Broadway show at the time and she didn't want to be in it because obviously as we've seen, Betsy Palmer, she was briefly in some scenes in Friday the 13th Part 2 but she was like, I don't want to be in this. She would have, I think, been in her 70s that stage and they wanted her to just be the same person that you I don't know I really don't know how that would have even worked and um, there's very little nudity in this and they just have it at the very end in the simulation where 
again, the director, he didn't want nudity in this film. He was like, oh, it's just nudity for nudity's sake. So he said, if they're going to have it, they want to have fun with it. So it's an actual brilliant scene of a simulation with these two girls, because obviously they're going back to the past and these guys don't know how they would have acted. And they're like, oh, want to smoke a joint with us and have premarital sex? And they're just like so like <laughs> random. And then you can just see Jay, they, they go into sleeping bags and then Jason just beats one girl who's in a sleep bag with the other girl on the ground. And it's just brilliant. But apparently Kane Hodder, like that whole whacking one with the other wasn't meant to happen. He just got annoyed of having to reshoot that scene over and over again, like 20 plus times that he just got the stuffed sleeping bags and started hitting, like the girls obviously weren't in it, but he started hitting one sleeping bag with the other. I don't know what he was meant to be doing, but um, apparently that's just all out of frustration. So fair play. So they were trying to get a sequel to this film after Jason X, where his mask would then land on, they have a new Earth, they call it Earth 2, and it would have left it open for a possible sequel. But because, as I said, it was such a failure initially, um, they didn't want to do it. And then they had Freddy versus Jason coming up like two years later. So they didn't want to have that sequel um so it kind of died away anyway and funny enough this is how it's so strange freddy versus jason timeline wise is meant to be set before jason x because they always knew they were going since like the 90s i think they always knew they were going to do one so the way freddy versus jason ends sets up for jason x which is hilarious yes so that it was kind of strange way that they did it, even though it came out before it's it's meant to be after the oh yeah. Um so it just yeah, it's basically Jason A Jason X takes place, yeah, after it. So it resolves the issue of how the hell can Jason go from space to now come back to modern day. Uh, so it's if you were watching it in chronological order, it needs to be after nine. It needs to go Freddy versus Jason, and then Jason X. But see, they kind of uh, put themselves into a corner. They couldn't do any sequels after Jason X, and then obviously because it didn't do so well financially, they were like, "No, we're definitely not doing it." So it kind of just let them up to the idea of after Freddy versus Jason of just doing like a complete rejig. Yes. So tell us all about Freddy versus Jason. I do love this film. So I definitely thought that this would be my favorite of the franchise because again, talking about like, you know, the whole like later movies that I'd fallen in love with, like this is kind of my genre and time for horror movies. Yeah. But I think the main character in this, Laurie, is the most irritating (sighs) character. I'd actually put her quite similar to the main character who's in um, Urban Legends. Um, Mm. She's not quite as bad, but she's she's very irritating. Um, So the... (laughs) The whole thing is basically one thing I'd say is this is really primarily a Freddy movie. I would kind of say yes, it's more his franchise than it is Jason, I think anyway. Um, but basically, um, Freddy is not strong enough to come back and start killing the kids. Um, they've also forgotten about him. So they need to fear something for him to be able to kind of be reignited, I suppose. 
um, within the town. And what he does is he essentially resurrects Jason so that he can put the fear of God or the fear of Freddy, I suppose, into um, into the kids of Elm Street. And Jason has this like apparition of his mother. And funnily enough, um, the mother from the original was asked to come back for this as well. And she was like, absolutely no way. The role's way too small. Um, so she says, Jason, you need to go to Elm Street. The kids there are bad. And he's like, OK, mom. Um, yeah, sure so thing, he, sure thing. So he goes. Um, he scares the shit out of a few kids, and then Freddy gets stronger and stronger because that fear is there. Um, there is this core group of friends. Um, who are there's a couple of girls, there's a couple of guys. It's the usual kind of thing of like the three girls are there having a party, like just like a slumber party. And then of course the boys arrive and like, did you actually tell the boys that, was, that we were here? And they're all like, no, of course not. <laughs> um, it's all very innocent, um, but all kind of irritating, mainly because of the, the main girl. Um, so you have Monica Keena, who is the main one, uh, Catherine Isabel, who we would remember from uh, Ginger Snaps, and of course, another Cinderella story, um, and <laughs> Kelly Rowland, um, yes. who is obviously in the same one when she did the song with Nelly, and it's like, I love you, baby, I need yes. you, because she has the red highlights, um, and she's like texting on her excel spreadsheet um so yeah like just brilliant and it's like I saw a few things where they were saying that a load of kind of reporters and journalists have tried to like embarrass her during interviews and be like weren't you and Freddie versus Jason and she's like actually yeah I was and it was quite successful and I really enjoyed it Uh, it was great it was a bit of crack and I had yeah, a great time with it. And she was like, I won't be ashamed about being in that film. I actually really liked it. Um, so she had a really good experience on set. Now, the problem is poor Catherine Isabel didn't um, because of the um, <clears throat> director who came on, Ronnie Yu. So basically, um, kind of something similar to what you were saying, where actresses were being kind of forced into these um, nude scenes but she had actually in her contract that she would do no nudity this was just something that she didn't do and it wasn't something that she had a desire to do and there was a big fight on set because he was like no you will do it and she was like no I won't and um, she t- just essentially was like absolutely not and um, so they they got a body double in for her shower scene um, the one thing that I didn't like um, was, and it's something that we were talking about um, with one of the other movies that um, I had covered in the episode before this. Basically, do you remember when I had said that they were talking, they were thinking of having um, one of the kind of protagonists um, as a sexual assault survivor? And they were like, no, that would just mm. be too dark and it would be too bleak. So um, Catherine Isabel's character, they're all at this big party. Basically, killings are happening. There's a curfew and stuff. And of course, what do you do? You have a massive party because it's for in numbers. 
And of course, that party happens to be in a cornfield. So <laughs> Catherine Elizabeth is getting absolutely hammerooshed um, and she passes out. And this guy comes along and I was like, oh, don't do it. And then I was like, no, you're judging it too quickly. And then the next scene is him on top of her, like trying oh, to kiss yeah. her. And like, she's passed out. And I was like, they're actually, it didn't add, this wasn't a character at all. This person wasn't in the movie at all for anything other than this. And I was like, that's literally just put in because you're fucking dirty bastards. And um, yeah, I was like, not cool. Not cool at all. No, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, Freddie um comes along because the kids start to become more afraid. Um the Laurie's dad is like the local kind of GP and he actually he works in the local psychiatric hospital again talking about the um the kind of like mental health um well-being of people within there but they're it's not the best psychiatric hospital. Yeah, the kids are kind of like shunned away and in particular Laurie's love of her life who just went like in the dark of night before um has actually been put away here and he has been put away because he said that he saw Laurie's dad killing her mother Laurie's dad said that the mom died in a car crash but um, this guy is like, no, your father killed her. Now, it turns out that there was more to the story. Have a look at the film. You'll find out what happens there. But they're basically given all these tablets and they suppress dreams. So they can't have dreams. So therefore, Freddie actually can't invade their dreams. So he escapes the hospital with his best friend, um. And the best friend is like, there's something, there's something. My brother, he killed himself and he was talking about somebody and I can't remember his name. I can't remember his name. And then he says his name. It's a bit of a Voldemort situation. So he says, Freddie, then he's like, oh my God, I've ignited this again. I'm going to kill everyone. It's my fault that people are dying now because they're starting to remember because I said it. Um. So yeah, it, it goes on. Laurie is the wettest blanket, like wettest <laughs> of wet blankets. And I'd actually go as far to say she might be more annoying than, is it Donna? Is that her name? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. She really does take you out of the film. Oh, there's a bit where your man is like, there was this guy and he was, um, he was like killing children. And then all the parents, they decided that they'd come together and they'd get him. And she's like, <laughs> no 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 it's just as awful if not more awful than what I'm just after doing um so unfortunately quite similar to your um Manhattan I didn't enjoy it as much as I really thought I was going to um it had a 25 million budget it was the highest budget um of the Friday the 13th series um yeah like as much as I can say about it, I totally thought it was going to be a lot better. Funny enough, actually, um, they they went out for a lot of directors, and they the director that they got, they were saying it were they were quite happy that they kind of had an Asian influence onto the movie. But 
like the thing was when I heard that I was kind of like that didn't really come across I didn't know if he was kind of they were kind of saying that like it would be this Asian horror influence on the movie and but there was no kind of correlation there that I saw that it was kind of taking inspiration from Asian horror cinema but it, it was offered to Peter Jackson and it was also offered to Rob Zombie as well. Um, and both declined, Rob Zombie declining because he was working on House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, yeah. He Obviously, as we know, he goes on to go do his own remake of a slasher film. Yes. Yeah. And he's coming out with the monsters soon. Yeah. Yeah. I will just wait and see with that one. Yeah, exactly. But the nice thing is as well, Robert Englund was actually, which I always say Englund, it's actually England, heard him say it the last day, um, wow. was really excited about the casting of Catherine um, Isabel as Gib, as he was a really big fan of Ginger Snaps, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then as well, uh, her character is actually always seen wearing a red baseball cap. And that is a nod to PJ Stubbs, is it? I have that one. I know it's PJ. Uh, but basically from Carrie, that character from Carrie. Yes. Um, she has the baseball cap. And funny enough, she is very similar to her. Um, If you watch it, you kind of go, oh, yeah. Yeah, I get that. So definitely not my favorite of the franchise. Thought it would be my favorite of the franchise. The two movies I reviewed before it, I, I actually think I are, that too. Yeah, yeah, I really did. But no, Laurie, um, Laurie ruined it for me. I totally get the whole nod to Halloween as well yeah. with her being Laurie. But um, no, she was just she was just irritating to the point that it ruined the film. For me, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. 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 And hilarious concept. Like, God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was pretty much what I had going for it. Like, beautiful. Like. And they were originally meant to add in Ash from Evil Dead. And <laughs> it was going to be Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Love it. And it was kind of going to be done out where. I don't know whether they used the Necronomicon to bring back Freddy or like, I, I feel like as if they were going to do it, but I think they just couldn't get Bruce Campbell or whether they had issues with Sam Raimi about for the, the plot or the rights or what, there was something, but there was always meant to be him added into it. it I think that would have been amazing. Yes. So they couldn't really go much further after that now, could they? They'd kind of, they jumped their shark well and truly um so come 2009 I've I had seen this but I was convinced it was like a reboot or a remake it's technically a sequel and they did it in such a way for it to be a sequel I'll, I'll discuss later in one of the trivia ones it's basically saved them from paying the original scriptwriter of Friday the 13th they changed it in such a way but the film opens like with a flashback to the 1980 original film um, where we hear the voice of Jason and Pamela and basically it's where he now it's a completely different actress obviously um, playing Pamela Voorhees and we see when she gets decapitated as how the first film ended and then Jason comes across her body uh, takes her head and takes a necklace which uh, was like a locket that had a photograph of both of them in it um, and then we're brought back to kind of present day 
where we have a group of, I have to say, they're all right college kids, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. no one seems to be really annoying. They're on the search in the woods for like this big weed farm, which is kind of like a myth and a legend that they've heard about it. And they're trying to, um, to find it so that they can steal it from whoever owned it and then be able to sell it back. Um, and of course, then you've got like, there's a sex scene and Jason is there and he just starts killing you. Actually a horrific death scene. And um, if anyone watched Mandy, they'll understand this one where a girl is, she put up into a sleeping bag and sat on top of a fire. Like, and she's just burnt alive that way. Yep. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a horrific way to go. And her boyfriend's trying to rescue her but his leg got caught in a bear trap and he can't get to her. Oh, so yeah, very much like Mandy. So I wonder if they took an influence from that. Um, and then it's basically a second set of obnoxious college kids arrive to one of the guys like rich daddy's house. Um, and But they also come across um, an older guy who's in search of his sister, who was, we don't see her die in the original group. And it turns out later on that Jason basically kidnapped her because she quote unquote, looks like his mother. And she happened to get the locket because they come across his shack and they just think it's another part of the camp crystal lake like leftover. So they yeah. think it's just a cabin. And they he's like, oh, take that locket. Like, would you seriously pick up a necklace that you found in a rundown shack? Yeah. I mean, I just I don't know. I don't know if I'm up that much for vintage. <laughs> but um, so basically <laughs> you would tell me. Yeah. I mean, if it really was nice, but she didn't even bother to open it. But of course, like they, again, like everyone in these films, they've only just found out who Jason is. And I don't believe in it because I've never heard of this before. But basically it's of the of the second group of obnoxious kids. There's just one nice-ish girl. Oh yeah, no, she is a nice girl. And she kind of teams up with the brother to help him find his sister. And her boyfriend immediately cheats on her immediately cute and also at the same time like when she comes back in to warn everybody that like there is a guy outside killing people uh he's like oh you just sleep with him you sleep with him all day around the woods and now you know in my dad's house or like summer cabin or whatever and I'm like she had to stop you from having sex with one of their friends and you just kept on going and doing it and just turn up the music volume <laughs> I was like you're he is I I don't know if I've ever come across such a douchiest asshole character like oh but anyway so again it's I remember this film the one thing I took away from it was like it was just you're waiting for people to die they have you've got like oh an Asian character, one of the only Asian characters, I think there was also an Asian character in Jason Takes Manhattan, but this character, he's like a stoner. He's got a stoner friend who's a person of color. And I feel like as if they might just be ticking the boxes with these characters, which is just horrific because they don't give them any padding and they just kill them off. Um, yeah, so there's no kind of like actual character behind them or anything. No, and I've seen in some of the previous Friday the 13th films that they do give some characters, like if they want to, they give them a bit of padding or a bit of something to work yeah, with. Yeah, to be fair, they do actually. 
uh, like not just the lead characters, they do give other people like just a little bit of a personality, but this is like two stoners. You have a girl who's like, you have a couple who are just like a normal couple and they just end up dying anyway. And then you have some girl who just blatantly turns out to be having the hots for, you know, pop collar douchebag. And um, so she's the one who like sleeps with her and are like sleeps with the guy and it's just all these people like you're just picking out the characters of well you'll die you'll die you'll die you'll die um so actually michael bay was a producer in this film so i was was expecting some sort of over the top action but you know he's only a producer he didn't get that much of a say in it but he walked out on the um premiere of the film uh, because there were two like blatant sex scenes like total OTT and he walked out of the film halfway through and saying that it featured too much sex oh. um yeah yeah obviously not enough robots just too much sex um and also you know they like you have a bit of an opener and then the title card will come out it's usually like five minutes ten at the most yes this title card didn't show up until 25 minutes into the film oh and, yep and you know I was I just didn't think they were going to do it they wait until after the 1980s scene, after basically the first bunch of college kids all get killed and then boom, Friday the 13th. And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot that they do this because it just goes on for so long. Um, so anyone who is a fan of Supernatural, which if she's listening, our friend Erin is, and as Amy, you guys are going to go see the Supernatural Brothers up north, isn't it? Amor. My God, mouth, wash your mouth out. <laughs> vampire Diaries, how dare you? Oh, God, well, like, I've never watched Supernatural or Vampire Diaries or anything like that. And I just know that Amy and Aaron like both. Yeah. So I felt like it was a safe bet and I got it wrong. Um, although, yeah, I know that one of the other Supernatural guy was in my bloody Valentine. Yeah, so fun fact. So on hiatus from their show, both Jared Padalecki and his Supernatural co-star Jensen Ackles, um, they had starred in two remakes of 80 slasher films with, as you said, Jared doing Friday the 13th and Jensen did My Bloody Valentine, both in 2009. And Jared, who was in this film in Friday the 13th, was also in the remake of House of Wax in 2005 uh, with Paris Hilton. That was a great film. That was, she gets, God love her, she gets the most horrific death. Yeah. The lead up to it, she gets like her foot cut, everything. And it was also, that film was just marketed as a way to see Paris Hilton get killed. And that was its selling point. And it's really bad. Have you watched her documentary? Yes. She's so upset about that. I like, I really felt for her. It's like, oh my God, Paris, I'm sorry. I know. It's like, yeah, she's a hard community. But we all have. And I just feel like it's just, oh, I don't know. I wasn't comfortable with that the more I think about it. Like, I think at the time I was like, oh, yeah, Paracels and watch your diet. And then I'm like, you know, I said that without knowing who she was as a person. Yeah. And I now feel as part of the horror community, um, we apologize, Paris. Yeah. They did wrong by you. We owe you an apology. There you go. Live your best life as a cool DJ. You're fucking awesome. Yeah. She is spinning her life around like she's spinning those decks. She's a right as well. Uh, and so they were kind of trying to make this film seem more like as if 
Jason, it, he's like a survivalist hunter. He has like a, he had, it's not just like a shack, like in some films, like he's got a proper compound. He's got lights on, he's got underground tunnels. He's got like, he's set the whole place up with traps everywhere. Um, so it's a very different Jason to him just going around either killing people with like a bow and arrow or a machete or whatever weapon he can find. This is the Jason who is planning and he wants to keep the land and the, the area of Camp Crystal Lake to himself. Yeah. So they very much so kind of put like the first four Friday 13th together because in the beginning of this, he is wearing a mask over his head like in Friday 13th part two, we see him taking up the hockey mask. Like they they did a lot in this. This is why I must have thought that it was a soft reboot or a remake. But um, so as I'm saying about how they shafted Victor Miller, the screenwriter of the original film, um, they wrote this new script in such a way it could be deemed as a sequel as opposed to a remake. And that meant that they could pay him less if the movie qualified as a sequel. So this ex explains why the plot of the film is more of an amalgamation of the first four films as opposed to a retelling of the original film. Now, the scriptwriter took legal action because he felt that they showed, that the script showed it was more of a remake. Um, but basically he lost the battle and he ended up being paid less. Um, and he was actually surprised at all to see that the film was then later advertised as a remake. Yes. But it's not a remake. So it's very confusing because I have like as my title notes that it's a remake slash reboot. And I just have like X through them all go, no, it's a sequel. Yeah, it's a funny one because you do kind of have that conflicting thing out there. It is a bit like, oh, what the fuck is it? Yeah. So we had ups and downs with these films, but I actually think on the whole, just for what I got out of them um, and the fact that I knew so little about them as opposed to Halloween, I think I liked the outlandish ideas of Friday the 13th more than the outlandish ideas of Halloween. Yeah. And I think it's because Halloween took itself too seriously. I um, would totally agree. And it's just like, I think basically with Friday the 13th franchise is they always kind of went on the like the edge of zany into crazy so like that's how you could get away with bringing him to Manhattan how they could get away with doing a parody of a James Bond opening um but yet they could still do a series one where he had a credible threat with a girl with telekinetic powers yeah like they knew who they were oh 100 percent exactly who they were they knew exactly what they were doing um, I would definitely say I prefer this as a franchise to Halloween. Yeah. And I just, yeah. Um, and I wouldn't even count, I wouldn't watch the remake, reboot, sequel, whatever the hell. I wouldn't watch that one because they make it serious. Oh, I actually loved it, funnily enough. But I think it's kind of, you need to, it's almost like look at it as a standalone movie. Yes. I would think. It's kind of in the way of... Like, yeah, I suppose it is good because it breathes new air into yeah. it if you see what Jason could be like in the modern day, in the modern yeah. age, like, um, and like that it is very, he's 
really adapted to life out in the woods. Whereas I think by the second film, he was just seen to be stealing food from people nearby and he's only killing people haphazardly because he happened to stumble across his land. Yes. Yeah. Where I, is it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I must say, I do. Um, yeah, I do like that movie. But like that, kind of go to it as, as a standalone like you'd never see Michael Myers in like the Freddy vs. Jason kind of film it just would never work yeah no so yeah I have to say I always thought I like Halloween was my slasher film to go to and and the original one I will watch over and over again but I have to say as a franchise I am so surprised that I prefer on the whole I prefer Friday the 13th to Halloween I'm 100% with you yeah. So, so whenever we do get Friday the ooh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which I'd imagine might be next year's franchise, I have, because I've had high hopes. I've heard so much about like Dream Warrior, so much about the ones where it's like, is it the fifth film where it's like Wes Craven is even in it as an actor? Like it's a big, yes. like a meta style film. I am looking forward to some of those. I'm not looking forward to the one where like, have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, I am looking forward to that. I think I'll probably actually try and watch all of them because I think there's not as many. So our 100 horror movie this week is The Evil Dead. So five friends travel to a cabin in the woods where they unknowingly release flesh-possessing demons. I love this film. Um, I love they, all of them. The whole Evil Dead franchise, the Evil Dead TV show. And I have to say, even the remake of The Evil Dead is actually quite good. Again, takes it down a more serious route. Um, great use of, of modern technology. But this film is just Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell and Ted Raimi and a few other people having a bit of fun. Um, and just, I don't think they ever saw it taking off. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But it's just a brilliant film kind of like what you were saying about Kane Hodder walking through the woods with his whole Jason getup. they um used to just stick all the actors uh for the evil dead in the back of a truck and they'd be covered head to toe in like fake blood prosthetics everything like that and then they just like were stopped in traffic and this the car just comes up beside them and looking and they're like what the fuck <laughs> and then they're like hey Hey, you guys. Oh, yeah. I remember watching this film at home. I think I rented it. I I don't know whether a few of you guys were over or if it was just me and Shauna. It might have just been me and Shauna. But the scene with the tree, because obviously the first film tries to take itself more seriously than the the sequels. Um, But uh, I remember when we watched the tree scene with the the girl and we're just like, holy shit. Oh, my God. A tree can do that? We were, yeah crossing our legs for days <laughs> oh yeah it was yeah. just like oh the no. thorns the thorns uh, no thank you splinter up your hoo-ha I don't think so but I would yeah I, that aside I would 100% recommend this film for people to watch um yeah it's an iconic film isn't it it's kind of up there it's one one of those that like <laughs> I find is one of the most annoying things that people say where they're like you need to see this like 
but it kind of is one of those like it's got so much in it like I know you have yeah you have like the Necronomicon from obviously from the oh my gosh what's that writer's name Cabin Cabin Fever not just Cabin Fever but it's um it's back from an old writer uh he did all the Cthulhu stories um Mm -hmm. oh Emer Anyway, someone's like screaming at the podcast going, it's such and such a dumb bitch. Um, yeah, it was this great sci-fi writer from the early 20th century. He used the first. Hmm? <laughs> I just went. He's just saying I'm wrong. He said, it's your mom. Oh, if only she could, I'd be rich. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so basically it makes a lot more sense if you see the use of the Necronomicon the reading of it with the tape like this was used again in later films to bring about evil spirits and it's like a total use of I know you got the cabin in the woods but to get that film like cabin fever cabin in the woods I think it all stems back to evil dead yeah like I know you've got like in the Friday the 13th franchise you've got there in a cabin but this is just one solitary cabin and they use a great use of the camera work where it's like this the the use of the camera coming towards the house or towards the person is this it is the evil demon so I really like this film it's cheap it's brilliant the sequels are hilarious um yeah totally recommend amazing I love it so much so next week, join us um, when we will be talking again, more horror. Um, and tomorrow for Trick or Treat Thursday, we are talking about, we're finishing up our series on um, Halloween and Ireland. So we're talking about um, a spirit that is well known in Ireland, the puka. And Emer is going to talk to us about a few hauntings as well. Um, mm-hmm. And if anyone couldn't tell that we have no topic set up for next week, it's because we may have Halloween fatigue. We, yeah, we may have somebody on. We're not 100% sure. If we don't, we have something amazing planned. Anyway, um, we're going to go into... Yeah, we'll always have good stuff for you. Yeah, we're going to go into a series either next week or the week after. We're, we're going to look at kind of the original monsters of horror. Thank universal horror but I doubt we'll pick any of the iconic films as our examples I sure as hell know I'm not do you know I might because I actually haven't seen them they're brilliant yeah it's a great opportunity for me to kind of see them um but then as well I'm kind of like do I be really cheeky and steal um steal Dracula from Emer and and watch it do Dracula's dog Dracula's dog. That's I think I'm gonna do it just because I bought a t-shirt on it. Well, you definitely should, and then I will finally watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. Please do, even just for the soundtrack alone. Yeah. Soundtrack and the costumes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, we'll either have a guest on next week or we'll be jumping straight into our kind of our monsters feature, uh, which both are going to be really exciting. Um, we can't wait to. Yeah, I can't wait to record them. So make sure to follow us on Instagram on Because You're Home with an underscore in between each word. And you can listen to us on most podcast platforms. If you listen to us on Apple, we'd really appreciate if you could rate and review. And if you listen to us on any other type of podcast, just feel free to tell a friend. Tell a friend. 
And we shall talk to you tomorrow for our Trick or Treat Thursday and next week for our normal episode. Bye. Bye.